The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently, we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, I am a boat I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this. I hate the work of those who follow my mouth. I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmony sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live in the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned you about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and you'll see there's two videos at the top of the page. Now, I said I was live. I'm live at this moment, but <laughs> we're pre-recording the show. And so you'll see a previous day's um show up here on the right side of the page. On the left side of the page is Bradley's show from the previous day. Click on the play button. You can watch that up until 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central uh, today, and then he should be live at that time. And then on the right side, yep, if you click that little play button, and it won't look like it looks like now. Of course, if you're listening and you're wanting to go here, <laughs> you're not going to be seeing it anyway. You're going to be seeing what's supposed to be there. But if you click on that, 
blow it up on whatever device you've got, and then click on the Rumble icon on the bottom right. It'll take you over to our Rumble channel. You can join us in the chat over there. Our Rumble channel is Sons of Liberty Radio Live. We're also on DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. Twitch at Setting Brush Fires. And we're also on the top of the page at BeforeIt'sNews.com if you want to jump on any of the video platforms uh, that we're on currently right now. And then right up under where we're streaming live is a place where you can sign up for our newsletter. Help us out on that because the censorship is horrendous. You've heard it over and over and over again. Uh, and you guys help us out by sharing uh, the things that we have on the site. So sign up for that. And then if you want our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. That comes out once a week. The one at the media site comes out once a day. And uh, sign up for that. Also, if you agree with our message, remember, we're not just here on the Internet. We're not just here on the radio. We're out in the 50 states uh, teaching our Christian constitutional heritage, calling people back to the old paths that God has forged and uh, that we're to walk in. If you agree with that message, then uh, please consider donating to Sons of Liberty. We've got a link at the top of SonsOfLibertyMedia.com for that, a one-time donation, or become a partner with us as a son or daughter of liberty. These are our monthly partners, and we appreciate each and every one of you for that. Our store is also available there. Most of these items are things that you guys have asked for, and they're great conversation starters and equipping tools. This week, we're highlighting Bradley's uh, The Prayer That Rocked the Capitol DVD, where, again, he was asked to give the opening prayer at the Minnesota State House back in 2011. And within 10 minutes, 2,000 media outlets had attacked him, put words in his mouth that he didn't say, uh, none of that kind of stuff. And they even came in and the representatives rebuked him and brought in this spineless, syrupy, milk-toasty, panty-waisted, hen-pecked little man that prayed to somebody he never acknowledged who he was praying to, but he made a good show of it. And they really liked that kind of stuff because it didn't address, obviously, their sin and didn't call them before the true and the living God. But uh, normally this is a donation of $20 this week only through Saturday at midnight. You can pick it up for 50% off with the promo code prayer. Pretty simple. Make it easy. Uh, use prayer as a promo code at the checkout and you get 50% off of the DVD. Now, uh, since we are pre-recording, I'm not going to take you through some highlights there, but in the archive, I'll highlight some of the top articles we have at sonsofLibertyMedia.com, along with bonus videos. You guys who are um, uh, not going to the archives, normally I would, you remember I'd show a bunch of videos, and now I show just a couple, uh, but there's bonus videos in there that I've collected over the day too. So any of you guys who want to see this, they're on a variety of subjects. Some are in the news, some are not in the news. And uh, so what I want to do is I've got those listed in the archive. You'll get those as well. But today we've got a special guest on with us. Uh, we were trying to set up yesterday and I was running late. And then today he's running late. So I figured, you know, we, we kind of offset each other on that. But his story is very important. Um, he's, a, he's a father and he lost his daughter, his teenage daughter, uh, to some hospital protocols. And... I'm going to let him tell his story because I think it's a, I, I got to tell you, I just going through and I'm thinking about it now. He sent me a packet last night and I went to the website. I'll just show you the website really quick. It's uh, ouramazinggrace.net and this is his daughter, Grace. And, um, yeah, I, I walked through some of the pictures and I watched some of the videos and I know he's a, he's a daddy who loves his daughter and uh, just like any daddy should. 
and me having six girls and four boys, I understand these are your children. And um, so with that said, I'm going to let him come on and tell his story. This is Scott Shera, and uh, hopefully he'll become a new friend here with the Sons of Liberty. And it's great to see you, Scott. What a nice introduction, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. I, 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 I truly was moved. And I'm, I'm moved just thinking over the other stuff that I, that I looked at. Uh, one of her drawings and, and some other things that were written and her baptism. Um, just all of this stuff is really good. And we're gonna, I'm going to be showing some of this in the background as you talk, Scott, and tell our audience, can, do you mind opening up just telling us a little bit about yourself and your family and what life was like when, when Grace was with you and then what transpired that caused this great tragedy that you're facing? Well, what Grace was like with us was it was the only way you can make sense out of it is that God's sovereign and he gave us an angel to walk around with us for 19 mm. years. Um, she was just an absolute gift. Um, she was the whole package. Uh, she, there's nothing that she wouldn't do, try, uh, fantastic attitude. Um, and she was funny. Uh, she, she could do everything. She played violin. My wife taught her how to read and write. Um, and that's, that's, uh, a big deal, especially for somebody with Down syndrome, but Down syndrome as, as a diagnosis is, it's a neat thing. I mean, these these kids have a unique way of looking at the world. It's the way we're supposed to look at it, but we can't get there. You know, they we can get there with God, but we want our own way. Uh, they give up on their own way naturally, and they walk with God different than than what I've ever experienced. You know, I I want to. I'm learning every day how to walk with Him more, but I mean, Grace just did it. And uh, it was wonderful. I mean, just to give you a perspective, how how much she knew our Lord. She called me earthly dad. Now, I didn't tell her to do that. She she came up with it. She called me earthly dad. You know who does that? Yeah, and she even uh, wrote that in uh, on one of her pictures there. And she then you see how she writes. I mean, it's so creative. Just everything has expression with it. And if she met you for the first time, Tim, um, she had a way of just making everybody feel welcome and comfortable. So she would say something like, um, boy, nice to meet you, handsome Tim. And then she would say, <laughs> she would say, uh, do you want to hear my dirty jokes? And, you know, how can you resist, right? And so then she would say to you, well, why didn't the toilet paper cross the road? And you'd say, well, why didn't it? And she'd say, well, because it was stuck in the crack. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then she would say, she would tell you about, uh, have, she would say, have you read the book Under the Bleachers? And you'd say, no. She Then she'd say, well, would you like to know who it was written by? No, I've and heard that say, one. <laughs> you'd say, oh, you heard that. She, she, you'd say, yes. And she'd say, it's written by Seymour Butts. Uh, so, I mean, she, did, she had... Uh, she could keep everybody laughing. She was the center of attention without trying to be so. She had a following. I mean, in, in our area, I was just known as Grace's dad. And you know, that's that's what I like to be known, uh, known for now. I mean, 
you know, as far as the, you know, that's what she brought to our family. I mean, as, as a dad, um, you know, of course I loved her. She was my best buddy, but you know, I, I worked way too hard. You know, I would say because of that and, and all my own selfishness, the, I got about a C minus as a dad. And I look at now, um, I, w- I want to get an A now. And uh, with God's grace, um, he's allowing a whole bunch of things that I would have never thought possible. And uh, he's opening up doors, including, you know, talking with you right now. And it's, um, it's, it's unbelievable to be, be um, being used to spread this message. You know, I want to show people now. It's it's sideways, guys, but uh, this is the, this is the picture that I was talking about that Grace drew, and uh, you can see that she'll say, "Your BFF daughter, uh, Grace Emily," and uh, then she has here where she says, "I love you, Earthly Dad," known as Earthly Dad, and so <laughs> you're you're right. She, I mean, she she has a she has a certain charm about her, and you know, just so people get an idea, I mean, she um, she did a little Elvis here. And uh, I figure a little, you know, a little comic relief is good before we get into the more serious things. So here's just a portion of that. Now, you guys on the listening on the radio, you're going to hear an Elvis impersonator here. But uh, check this out. Well, the bless of my soul, what's wrong with me? Now, she gets into I'm it in a minute. Like oh, she's friend, doing the lip, too. I'm all sick up. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my hands are shaking and my knees are And weak. she's got the moves too I with it. <laughs> Who do you think when you have such luck? I'm in love. I'm all shook up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, now she's doing yeah, some robot. Yeah. Now that is not Elvis. <laughs> All right, you guys get the idea. She 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 loves to have a good time, and there's plenty of stuff here with family and and things too. But Scott, what what all of a sudden happened that changed all of this? Well, that video was on September 22nd. That was Grace's 19th birthday. Six days later, on September 28th, she got a sniffle. And we were under the assumption that any sniffle, we're just going to treat it like it's COVID. Uh, We were fully prepared. We were under the frontline doctor's protocol. So Grace was on uh, a series of vitamins and things before the sniffle. As soon as the sniffle came, we put her on ivermectin. And... She was, you know, just seemed like a a cold, but we tested her on October 1st with a home test because we wanted to go to a wedding that day, and she tested positive. Again, we didn't think anything of it. It just prevented us from going to the wedding. And um, then on October 6th, she couldn't maintain her oxygen saturation above 90. She's in the high 80s. And we thought that was an emergency, so we took her to the emergency room. I just want to dive into that from a couple of different perspectives because three days after Grace died, Grace died on the 13th of October. On October 16th, I went to a different hospital with symptoms worse than Grace's and just about died. But So you wonder, how could people on the frontline doctor's protocol with ivermectin end up in the hospital? I want to just cover that because people would have that question. And the answer is, 
found by Dr. Chetty's research. His research is posted under the resource tab on Grace's website. He's a South African doctor who has personally treated over 8,000 people for COVID. And he has discerned that if you have a genetic disposition to, to clot and produce inflammation, that will result in, in your body not being able to maintain its oxygen. And I knew I had both of those conditions pre-COVID. So it's logical Grace would have inherited those from me, whereas my wife, Cindy, had COVID at the same time, but her oxygen never went below 95. So that's why Grace and I went to the hospital. And then there's two other things I would just want to mention by way of introduction, because they're important take-home messages. And that is, if I would have known then what I know today, we would have still went to the emergency room, but we would have never admitted Grace to the hospital. We would have went home with a prescription for oxygen and a steroid, and Grace would be alive today. So it's it's important to realize what's an emergency, what isn't. You know, I didn't know that at the time. You know, I know a lot more today, obviously. And then the second take-home point relative to um, going into an emergency room is that there's a a good percentage of the hospitals who have been bought, and I don't mean legally bought. I mean morally bought by the government and it is absolutely critical that you check out your local hospitals ahead of time uh, because when you have to go to the emergency room it is too late to check them out you need to go to the right hospital and i think god put me in a different hospital for one reason is that i can explain the story objectively because the hospital i went into um, you know, it was just by God's grace, but it was completely different. The whole protocol was different. They did not follow any of the, the COVID protocols that the government has been um, pushing down hospitals' throats in order to get bonus money. They didn't follow those at all. And it's a, it's a testimony to that hospital that they chose to do what's right, that I'm alive today. Well, Scott, uh, speaking of that, can you tell us the name of the hospital that, that did that, that actually did the right thing? Yes. So the, the hospital that I went to was St. Vincent's in Green Bay. Okay. The hospital Grace was in was St. Elizabeth's in Appleton. Uh, St. Vincent's in Green Bay is part of a smaller regional. Um, I think they have five hospitals in their chain, whereas St. Elizabeth's is part of Ascension, which is 142 hospitals. And, um, you know, these hospital systems have a choice. And uh, surprisingly, St. Vincent's didn't buy on, buy on to the government bonus program, and uh, they saved my life. Okay. All right. Yeah, we want to give a shout out to the hospitals who are doing the right thing. That's that's good. You know, what's interesting, that I, and, and we did an interview, and I don't want to get all sidetracked, but we did an interview with Dr. Andreas Kalker uh, last year. They were conducting a study out of Switzerland. They were the ones really pushing the protocols for using just chlorine dioxide, which is not a drug, it's a natural compound. And they were having 100% success on everybody they were using it on uh, who had the alleged convids, uh, which he said is not a virus. He said, I see it as a blood disorder. This is what's going on. And 100% um, success with you. didn't have to go to the hospital, didn't have to spend a whole bunch of money or anything. Uh, but now the, getting at this thing, you know, the Bible tells us the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. You've got a document here uh, where you're dealing with this Ascension healthcare system. 
You want to walk right. us through some of this? I'll show the people on the screen uh, for people who are listening by way, way of Red State Talk Radio. Just pay attention to whatever Scott's saying. That's what we're showing here on the screen. Yeah, and if you so if you're on the radio, this document is on the website. It's under the tragedy tab. Yep. There's a sub tab called the love of money, and that's where this document is. So. Uh, interestingly, God tends to always get me up at 3 a.m. when he wants me to do something. So this particular document, he got me up at 3 a.m., I think it was was the second Sunday in January, when I started connecting the dots about the money. And so then um, all of this research on this document, believe it or not, was done in four hours. I found everything I needed in four hours. So that tells you when God's behind something, how fast you can get it done. And Amen. you know what? What is interesting is that so the first year of COVID, you'll see that Ascension Hospital System received in my based on my computations eight point three billion in bonus payments. That has nothing to do with the regular hospital revenue. This was all bonus payments that went right to the bottom line. Just in what kind of time line, period? This was the first year of COVID. Wow. So 2020. Correct. I think their fiscal year, if I'm not mistaken, is March 31st. So from March 30th, 20, March 31st, 20 through March 31st, 21, the first year of COVID, 8.3 billion in bonus payments alone. Incredible. And what's strange, if you look at that, you know, on top of that, so the, the government was doing the grant program under the PPP loans and all that. Um, they they also received 1.8 billion in government grants. You know that's that's insanity. How can a profitable hospital system who's getting getting these bonuses also get government grants to boot? I mean, it's it's. Uh, and and so Scott, let me let me make sure I'm understanding something because you get this 8.3 billion dollars as bonus payments. This is estimated CARES Act bonus. So in other words, the hospital didn't give bonuses to their people. Me and you and everybody else gave bonuses to the hospitals. Is that right? Am I understanding that correct? That's exactly right. And they, you know, we really gave them bonuses to take people out. You know, Dr. Peter McCullough has wisely pointed out there's no research component to this virus. They put all the money in making these bonus payments. And the bonus payments are, you only get those if you follow a protocol. And I'll go through one protocol so, so people can connect the dots. The average, at the time I did this document, the average bonus payment per COVID patient was 100 grand. Remember, this is over and above what they get for, for just your regular treatment. So one of the, the, the bonus payments they get is for putting you on a ventilator. So for putting you on a ventilator, they get a $39,000 bonus. On top of that, they get a, an ICU bonus. They get a bonus for um, having you be on a sedation bed. And you're, you're now in ICU with this, this situation with the ventilator. The average time the patient's in the hospital with, I, with a ventilator is 22 days. So when you add up those bonuses, plus when they kill you, so only 15% of people walk out alive when they're on a ventilator. So when they kill you on that ventilator, they also get a $13,000 death bonus. And so between all those bonuses and the money that they receive from your insurance company and the patient payments, it averages $300,000 per patient on a ventilator. That's, That's incredible. Sick. 
Yeah, that's incredible. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so you said Grace had sniffles and stuff, and then you ended up moving to where you went to the hospital. What was the big thing that triggered the move to go to the hospital? It was simply the oxygen saturation. We were okay. monitoring with a with a finger meter, and when she couldn't maintain 90, we perceived that um, through the education that we had at that time that that's an emergency, which okay. it is an emergency, but it doesn't require a hospital stay. It requires you to take an action, which is really monitor, and then if it keeps dropping, get on oxygen right away, which there's multiple ways to do oxygen. Sure. I mean, you can get a prescription, but, I mean, if you're – in advanced prep, you can get your own oxygen generator at home. But I mean, we didn't have any of that. I just, at that time, we would have, if I knew then, like I said, if I knew then what I know now, sure. we would have not admitted Grace and the, the emergency room physician would have given us a prescription for oxygen. Yeah, we've even talked about using, we do a health and wellness show on Saturday. We've talked about using a, uh, a nebulizer for hydrogen peroxide and you can bring build up oxygen uh, quickly as well as using the chlorine dioxide that stimulates that throughout your body as well okay so we know there's a lot of money that's gone on we've talked about this before on the show and the corruption of bought and paid for not only rep our politicians and our bureaucrats and our government but even the doctors and nurses are being bought off too with these bonuses all kinds of extra benefits and stuff like that uh that is of course i guess if most of them get the shot themselves uh, but the hospitals are raking in a lot of cash. This, this, when you say the Ascension Health System in this document, is that one hospital or is that a group of hospitals? That's the 142 hospitals that are make up the Ascension System. I think they're okay. in 13 states, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so that's for for 142 hospitals. They got bonus payments from the American people illegally. I'm going to, I'm going to add unconstitutionally. I don't care about the, the CARES Act is unconstitutional because we never authorized the government to give our money to any of this. Uh, nothing in the Constitutional Article One gives any kind of authority for the federal government to be involved in health care. So they're doing it illegally. They're stealing from us. And this is only one outfit, 142 hospitals that got $8.3 billion and multiply that times how many healthcare systems we've got throughout the U.S., and some are going to make more, some are going to make less at our expense, and they're going to get paid to, I mean, how do we say it? Not make us well, but to kill us. I mean, you, you were saying that before, that they had they put these people before they kill you, um, in some of the things that they're doing. So can you walk us through the timeline for when you brought Grace in, how many days is it before she she does die? She was so her first full it was it was seven days total. She you know, including the emergency room, which was the sixth, she died on the thirteenth, which is seven days total. Okay. All right. So can you walk us through what happened? Were you allowed to be in the room with her or did they scurry you away? What were they yeah, doing? So I know we've got something we're gonna show here that you've laid out for what her her final day was and what they were doing to her. But uh, can you give us an idea of, of the progression or the degression that she went through there? Sure. I'll give you a broad brush as to how this, this shook out and then we can dive into okay. that, sure. that, that uh, timeline of the last day. So um, on, a, on October 6th, when we were in the emergency room and the physician recommended admitting Grace to the hospital, uh, this would be the typical moment of truth for people, and I'll just share how it happened with us. So um, I said at that time that I'll be staying with Grace, 
And the attending nurse immediately said, well, you can't. I said, well, what's the reason? And she said, our COVID policy doesn't allow patients on the COVID wing. I said, well, then I'll be taking Grace home. And of course, in hindsight, I wish she would have said, well, then just take her home. But they came back after two hours of deliberation and said, we decided you can stay as long as you don't leave the room. So I said, well, that's fine. I don't have any place to go. And so then we waited about 10 hours total in the emergency room. We got a room about midnight on the 7th of October. My attitude at that point was it's going to be, you know, three, four days max. Uh, it's going to be a mini vacation with my best buddy. And um, the first day was like that. It was, it was nice. The, the second day, there was a push for a ventilator. Right out, the doctor came in at 8 o'clock in the morning pushing for a ventilator. And I asked what that decision was based on. And he said they did a blood gas draw the night before. Well, Grace's numbers were whacked out the night before because we were wrestling with getting oxygen situated. Uh, with a high flow cannula, a BiPAP, and uh, anyway, so I I told him this story. I said I don't think I don't think the blood gas draw is accurate based on that fact, and so I asked him to take another draw, which they did, and Grace was fine. So we dodged the ventilator bullet at that point, which you know thankfully we did. But I mean, she ended up dying anyway, which you know you think about. One of the unique things about this story is that we were there. They killed Grace while we were there. So what do you think happens when there's no advocate in the room? We already have, they've, they've shown their feet. The love of money is what their feet are chasing. So we have that. We have immunity from liability under the PrEP Act. And then you have the shroud of secrecy because there's no advocacy in the room. So when you hear Grace's story and you think, oh my gosh, this is, is so egregious, Multiply that by 10, because that's what's happening when there's no advocate in there. And yeah. we've, got, we've got stories on Grace's website people are sending us. It's like, oh, my gosh, they're, they're worse than Grace's story, and Grace's story is bad. Um, so that's, that's reality. So now you know, he recommends this, this ventilator, and that, at that moment, I got educated on ventilators, because my belief on ventilators were they were just a tool. Uh, President Trump had said that you know, we have a ventilator shortage. We're converting factories to ventilators. You know, when COVID first started, so I didn't know I wasn't the wiser. But so I asked him, "What's the prognosis? If you know, now that we're Grace isn't going to be in a ventilator, what's the prognosis?" And he told me only twenty percent of people walk out alive once they're in a ventilator. And I found out that was a version of the truth. I had my laptop there, so I started researching and found out that. It's significantly less than that. It's more like 15%. And out of those, that 15%, most of those people die in the first year because of the damage done to their lungs. And they, they pressed us four different times after that. Grace never was in need of a ventilator. She never had a problem breathing, anything. It was just not an issue. But they, they pushed us for a pre-authorization to put Grace on a ventilator just in case. So just in case was if they determined she needed it. And they couched it this way. They said, these type of things tend to happen in the middle of the night when we can't get a hold of the family. Yeah, that's the sneaky realm of it. Can I ask you something of what you what you found out about them? When you said that some people experience these problems later on, even from being on it, even if they survive, 
what what's the what happens to them with the ventilator? Were, were you able to uncover some stories as to what what kind of damage it does to the person? I did not dig in, into that, so I'm okay. the wrong person. To ask. No, that's fine. I, I was just I curious. After, yeah, I stopped after I saw the statistics. Okay, so they're not putting Grace on a, a ventilator. So what do they what do they choose to do? Well, they were they had her on a on the high flow cannula to start, but she she didn't like that because it's shooting air up your nose at forty miles an hour. Then they put her on a BiPAP, which you know after the fact after she died, the research showed that she didn't need to be on any of that. Grace had sleep apnea, and I had her her sleep apnea machine in the room. That's all she needed. So it was it's sick that they did this, but you know there's a money trail associated with all this stuff. And what's even sicker is the next example I'll, I'll share with you, which they, they were using faulty equipment to monitor her oxygen. So in one of the instances, so this happened on uh, October 9th, Saturday the 9th. Grace is hungry. I order food. I start feeding her. You know, of course, Grace can feed herself, but now with that BiPAP mask on, and the nurse comes running in and says, you can't do that. I said, what's the reason? She said, well, her oxygen saturation is only at 85%. And so I was processing that for not long, 15, 20 minutes. And so then I, I had all of my COVID materials in the room suspecting I would get COVID. And one of the things I had was the finger monitor. So I put it on Grace and it read 95%. So I called the nurse back in and I asked her if my finger meter was accurate. And she said, yes, it is. And so then I said, well, why is my meter reading at 95% when you're your expensive meter is reading 85%. And she said, because the leads get sweaty. And I said, well, if that's a known, why don't you just proactively change out those leads every three to four hours or whatever it takes so you have an accurate reading, given this is the primary tool you're using to manage my daughter's care. And she snottily responded, you should just be thankful you caught this. So now we're wise to the faulty equipment and their desire to not do anything about it. The bill that they sent to Medicaid, which I got after Grace died, showed they only changed out the leads three times in seven days in spite of my challenge. How often and are so, they supposed to change them? I don't know. I can't okay. answer that. I okay. would think, I, I, but I know they know because they didn't change it out on purpose. And on Grace's last day, Jessica was monitoring Grace's oxygen and there was a 50-point difference. So just process that. I had a 10-point difference. So why is that significant? Because the hospital's records become prima facie evidence in the event of a lawsuit, unless you can prove otherwise. So now when you start challenging, why did Uncle Bob die on a ventilator? They said, well, he had to have a ventilator. Look at his oxygen saturation numbers. Well, they're lying about the oxygen saturation numbers, which I just proved to you that they, they do. You know, they have a, a whole agenda. If Uncle Bob is, is on uh, Medicare or disabled Grace is on Medicaid, they are going to take you out. And uh, that's how they do it. Yeah, well, we have our we have our health and wellness expert, our, our nurse and nutritionist, Kate Shimrani, who's on every Saturday. She changes uh, hospitals into hospitals. That's what she refers to them as. She said they're not there for your health. This is why everybody continually stays sick. And I'm sorry, I got some people coming in here, but they she she warns about that. And she was a nurse 
a registered nurse for 35 years, I think. Now she's still a nurse. She's still a nutritionist. Uh, but she warns against that because she got breast cancer uh, and went through some surgeries and then found out, well, if I would just change what I'm eating and eat what the creator gave us, Genesis chapter one, <laughs> then I can I can take care of myself, that my food becomes my my uh, uh, health source, if you will, my medicine, for lack of a better term. I don't, I'm trying to get away from using medicine because it ultimately ties back into sorcery. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that that God has given us everything we need for that. And instead of the government or those World Health Organizations or the doctors, anybody promoting good health by eating right and supplements of things that we were not getting enough of, they go down this drug road. And this seems like this this comes to a head here, too, because this is another one of the billboards. I showed one while you were talking, uh, but this is one of the billboards that you asked. Was Grace given a lethal combination of meds at St. Elizabeth's Hospital International or Intentional? Who's next? Has COVID come to this? And then you ask, where's God? And we're going to address that in just a little bit. But can you tell us about what happened with Grace? Uh, okay, so they were, they were trying to give, put her on a ventilator, and they said, no, we're not going to do that. What did they do medicine-wise to Grace? So starting as we after we reviewed the records, we realized that starting on October 9th, they started her on a sedation med called Presidex. Presidex, the package insert for that med, says to use for no more than 24 hours. It's an anesthesia drug. The nurses who use it for anesthesia will tell you that it's not supposed to be used for anything longer than three hours. They had Grace on that med for four full days before her last day. What we found out is that by putting her on that medication, that changed the classification of the room from a regular room to an ICU room. And Grace's, Grace never moved. She stayed in the same room the entire time. The care never changed. Nothing changed. But it allowed them to get an ICU bonus by putting her on that med. Furthermore, what it does is once a patient's in ICU, this is pretty significant. You don't have the ability to just take her out, to check her out and take her home. It would be, if to do that, it's called against medical advice. So it's not an automatic. You, you give up rights once a patient is classified as ICU. So it's it's sick that they did this. The medical malpractice uh, nurse who reviewed the records, so this is a nurse that does this for a living. She's used to reviewing records to prepare for court cases. And she, she her conclusion was they chemically restrained Grace, and that's how they set up her death. So then you move into Grace's last day. So the day before, I, I, October 12th, my daughter Jessica was now the advocate. On October 10th, I got kicked out by an armed guard, which that if we have time, we can go through that. Yeah, what, what happened? Um, Why would they well, kick you so, out? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. Mainly because I was challenging things. I mean, so you heard the, the couple examples I gave you, but 7 o'clock on Sunday morning, the, the 10th, the head nurse came in with an armed guard and said, you have to leave immediately. And I said, what is that based on? She said, well, you've been shutting off the alarms at night. And I said, well, that's because the nurses trained me how to do it. Uh, these alarms are going off, you know, constantly. And it often takes them 20 minutes plus to come in and shut them off. So just process this, how sick this is. So I'm showing the crux of my elbow right now for on, on 
video, you can see this, but on radio, you can't. So the crux of your elbow, when I asked why are the alarms go off, going off so often, the nurse said, well, because every time Grace moves her arm, it sets off an alarm. So I said, well, what's the reason? She said, well, we put the IV in the crux of her elbow. I said, well, what, what's the reason you did that? If it's going to set off an alarm every time she moves it. And she says, well, that was easier for us. Like, you can't make this up. It's so crazy. Uh, so anyway, she said, you're setting off the alarms at night. And then she said, the last three shifts of nurses don't want you in the room. And then third, she said, we suspect you have COVID. Well, no kidding, I have COVID. You guys are the ones who told me I was going to get COVID. I'm in the room with somebody spewing COVID and I can't get out. Yeah, I, was, yeah, I expected to get COVID. Well, anyway. Um, well, but isn't that slander against you to say we suspect you have COVID without any evidence of that? That's, I'm sure you're working with some attorneys over this. I would think that would be a part of that, too, that, that they're looking at you as like you're a bad guy. You're wanting to, you know, spread the world with COVID as though they, they've even proven that, S, that SARS-CoV-2 even exists in the first place, which they haven't. And they're, they're accusing you of something. They're slandering you. Right then and there about those kinds of things, all trying to get you out of the room so they can do their dirty deeds. Well, and then the dirty deeds did, you know, of course it's slander against me, but in the scope of all the things that we have as evidence against the hospital, this would be in the bottom 10. It's not. Sure. I get that. I get that. There's so much. There's just so much. Anyway, the, um, they used that opportunity. So now my wife couldn't be a replacement advocate because she had COVID. And we had to hire Grace's special needs attorney to negotiate with the hospital attorney to get my daughter Jessica in. We had 44 hours without an advocate. During that 44 hours, they increased the dosage of Presidex with Grace seven times. That's ridiculous. Grace is a calm kid. You don't need to sedate a calm kid unless you're lazy or you want to set up her death. You know, if you don't want to, you don't want to take care of an, an ICU patient, which, you know, that's, that's crazy in and of itself. But if you don't want to take care of them, what do you do? You sedate them. And uh, so they sedated her at that, you know, at, at a fairly high level, but not enough to take her out. And the day before Grace's last day on October 12th, you know, she, Jessica talks about how good of a day Grace had, you know, they, they were goofing around as sisters before Grace went to bed that night. She sat up in bed and waved through the BiPAP and says, hi, boys. They had called uh, Jessica's two boys, Grace's nephews, and um, Grace's oxygen was at 98 and 99% the entire night. So then we walk into this timeline. So do you have, are you going to put the timeline up on the screen? Yeah, it's up there. Okay. So the timeline this walks through Grace's last day. At 8 o'clock that morning, approximately 8, the doctor called us, and he wanted a decision for their fourth request on a ventilator. And, of course, we said no again. And it wasn't for a literal ventilator. It was for this preauthorization idea again. And so we said no. Um, he said, well, Grace had such a good day yesterday. I think we should put a feeding tube in. Grace was malnutritioned for basically one reason and that is is they they would not feed her um they fed her a couple of protein shakes during the time they wouldn't let me feed her they wouldn't let just feed her uh, 
you know, so now all of a sudden she's malnutrition. So Cindy and I foolishly agreed to this, not understanding what the goal, their goal was at this time. And you'll see how it all fits here in a minute as I, as I go through the story. Okay. So now Jessica says to, there's a 14 year ICU nurse in charge of Grace's care this day. This is significant. Uh, one of the podcast hosts about a month ago, maybe a little longer, asked me if I thought Grace's death was premeditated. And that word I hadn't thought of before. But as I walk through this now, I emphasize the 14-year ICU nurse because I personally think it was premeditated. And the 14-year ICU nurse is emphasized because the combination of drugs that they gave Grace uh, is not a mistake. The doctor who helped us go through the med records, when she saw it, she wrote to me and she said, I don't think there's even a question as to intent. She said, I think it's intentional. Yeah, so, in these drugs, uh, we've mentioned, uh, Kate has mentioned the use of morphine and midazolam in, uh, in England. Now you've yeah. got Presidex, I don't even know how to say that one, Laura's BAM. Lorazepam. Lorazepam, thank you. Morphine uh, are the drugs that got administered to her. Now, you said they were already setting it up, but you've got this as part of her last day kind of deal, right? Correct. So I set it up with the four days of Presidex ahead of time. And okay. now Jessica says to the 14-year ICU nurse that she's going to take a shower. So remember, when I was in the room, they insisted I not leave. So I showered in Grace's room. Jessica, they said to Jess, or the 14-year ICU nurse said to Jess, you need to go home and take a shower. So just being concerned that her dad, me, was just kicked out of the hospital three days earlier, decides to, okay, well, I'll do what she says. So she goes home, takes a shower, she comes back, and she overhears two doctors and the, this nurse in the hallway say, the family's not going to like this. So she said, what aren't they going to like? And she, they said, we had to restrain Grace while you're gone, which, so she said, what, does, what, did, what do you mean? Well, we strapped her down to the bed because she wanted to go to the bathroom. They made her poop in what? the bed. Yes. This is one of the many things where, why I started going towards genocide as the cause of Grace's death. Because one of the attorneys asked me, Scott, do you think you would have been strapped down to the bed? I said, no, I would not have. Um, I would have made the nurses do their job, which is get me out of bed, walk me into the bathroom so I can go to the bathroom, right? That's what they're supposed to do. That's what they should be doing. So that Sunday, again, guess what time? 3 a.m. I get up and I review all 22 doctor's reports again. And I look for singularly one thing, Down syndrome. They reference the fact that Grace had Down syndrome 36 different times in 22 reports. Just think that through. What's the reason that they had to keep referencing it over and over and over? I was going to ask you if you thought they were targeting her because of that. I don't think it necessarily is specific to Down syndrome. I think it is specific because she was disabled. And That's what I mean. Yeah, the, the disability. Yep. So I do believe it was based on the disability. Um, anyway, back to the story. So now they use that as an excuse to ratchet up the Presidex further. Instead of waiting for Grace to stabilize, the 14-year ICU nurse decides, in spite of the attending nurse's challenge to wait, 
we're going to do the feeding tube. So now they put a feeding tube in Grace. Now she's agitated, which you and I would be too. So they took that as the opportunity to take the Presidex to Max Dose. So now Max Dose Presidex, Grace is completely knocked out as if she's going into surgery. And she stayed knocked out the rest of the day. At 11.25, they gave her a dose of lorazepam, which is an anti-anxiety med. So there's no anxiety present. Present, She's knocked out. At 5.46, they gave her another dose. At 5.49, another dose. And at 6.15, a two-milligram dose of morphine is an IV flush. So, Tim, you and I could not have survived that medication dosage. There's no, nobody that can. Um, one of the commentators had said it would take out an elephant. I mean, so just process that. Then Jessica is in the room the whole time. From 6.15 when they gave her the morphine until 7.27 when Grace died, not one nurse stepped foot in that room. The package insert for morphine, which is, again, the package insert is the rules they're supposed to follow, says to not combine those drugs because they cause death. And they either were just ignoring it or they contemplated doing it specifically to kill her. It's one or the other. I mean, I don't think they can say this ignorant. The way we understand it now, one of the things that that, uh, we have found out through research is that they had to override a specific alarm system to be able to do that med combination. So, what do you mean? So is now, there is there something? Do certain people have to check things as they're going through? You say <laughs> this alarm system, when they go to administer this, this has to go through somebody else, or, or what do you mean by that? Another another person has to sign off first. Another doctor. Okay, so a doctor then, signs off for the nurse to to administer this. Well, the the doctor who prescribed it first, he signs off, then another doctor Got has it. to sign off. Then okay. the nurse has to deliver it, but before they can deliver it, they have to override the the computer. When it's the computer sees that combination of meds, it sets off an alarm. Wow! Wow! So think it through. What happened here? And the package insert further says they're supposed to keep the reversal drug bedside and monitor the patient. Remember, I said not a nurse came in the room after the morphine was delivered. Jessica was in the room. She feels Grace. You know, she's holding Grace the whole time. She feels Grace getting cold. So she gets that ICU nurse and says, hey, can you come in and take a temperature? Uh, I think Grace is getting cold. She said, no, that's normal. Just cover her with a blanket. Jessica called Cindy and I on a FaceTime call at 7.20 panicking. She said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. And I said, get the nurses in. She said, they won't come in. She said, I've been trying. She estimated 30 nurses in the hallway at this point. So Cindy and I started screaming, save our daughter. They holler back to us. She's DNR. Do not resuscitate. We holler, she's not DNR. Save our daughter. This is the first we knew she's DNR. The DNR statutes say, I mean, they violated at least seven state statutes by putting a DNR on on her without us approving via our signature. A signature from the patient power of attorney is a required piece of the state statute. We found out in reviewing the records 
that the doctor put the DNR order on Grace at 10.56, eight minutes after they maxed out the Presidex. One of the attorneys who reviewed the record said they were trying to cover their rear end because they thought the Presidex was going to take Grace out, but it didn't. Jessica ran out in the hall and found out. She said, what's going on? One of the nurses read off the computer that the doctor put a DNR order on Grace and there's nothing they can do about it. And we watched Grace die at 7.27 on FaceTime. My gosh. And what, what makes matters worse is after we were talking with Jessica later on that evening, she said there was an armed guard posted outside the room. And I do mean posted. And the reason I say that is because Jessica crawled in bed with Grace after she died and to hold her until I could get my wife there. Mm. And the armed guard stood outside and watched her the entire time through the nurses' window. These After, are some sick people. It's, it's so sick. After Jess and Cindy cleaned Grace up, our pastor had met us there. And the funeral director, and after everything was done, the pastor was walking Grace out. In the, or not Grace. Sorry. He's walking Cindy out in the wheelchair, and one of the nurses had Grace's belongings and bent down and said to Cindy, me and several of the other nurses don't think Grace should have died today. And that, that really got us, that statement by that nurse got us into this process where you know, it's been an exhaustive amount of research to be able to get to this point, to be able to talk about this story and talk about it objectively. And, um, Without hatred, you know, without hatred, which, you know, the research doesn't do that, but God did that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, Scott. I, um, you know, my heart breaks for you, man. I, I mean, really, it, I, I was moved last night, um, you know, on what I saw. I'm moved when you're talking here. I'm thinking, what would happen? What would, I don't know that I would be that calm. I'm more the guy because I know what they're doing now. I, I've had to report on all of it. Just an honest confession, I'm probably going to take some people out to get my kid or my wife out of there just because I know that's what they do when they go down this road. But here's the thing. we got about 20 seconds here. I want people to be sure that they go. Can you hang on with us just a little bit? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Because I want to get to something else. Go to OurAmazingGrace.net, OurAmazingGrace.net. Go there. Check out the videos. Check out the story. Uh, check out the other stories of other people who are there. And find out how you can support Scott and his family in, in bringing some justice here. Because as the Sons of Liberty say, you know, God's throne is surrounded by justice. He is a just and holy God. And uh, these people are not to be shown mercy if they're not repentant. And that's what we got to do. But I want to hold Scott on because I want him to tell you where God was in the midst of all of this heartache. Catch us with Kate at 8 a.m. See you. All right, I want to welcome everybody coming over to from Red State Talk Radio with us. And uh, Scott, I didn't know, I, I think you're pretty much finished with what had taken place there with Grace. And obviously you're seeking some some action against the hospital, maybe the nurses and doctors there too. And I got to tell you, brother, let me, let, me, let me just say this. There is nothing wrong with you having a righteous indignation over what they did to your daughter. There is nothing unchristian about that. In fact, I think it's the heart of God that they treat, that they will treat people this way. This is murderous. And we don't treat murders with some kind of compassion in the moment they're committing murders and, and things. And, and especially when they try to justify themselves in it. 
But there's something that you write, and people can see this. I just want to show them as I go there. Where was God? This is a tab on here. And I just want to read this first line, and then I want you to kind of take it from there, Scott, if you will. Where was God when they were doing this to grace? Here's what you write. The same place he's always been, and I apologize, folks, for the noise. i got people who just came in the house at night here. He never changes. Grace is with him today. How do we know? By the fruit she produced, which is something we talk about here, too. The, the Spirit does produce fruit in us, and if it doesn't, you're not one of his because you don't have his Spirit. Grace loved Jesus, and that love produced some amazing fruit. Grace's favorite scripture was 1 John 4, 8. We, ours is 1 John three eighteen, 18, uh, which she abbreviated, God is love. Now, what gives a dad... Because there are many people out there that would be crying out, where is God, or I hate you, or whatever the thing they want to shout at God and blame him for what wicked yeah. men do. What can? What is it in you, and if you can follow this up and help people understand that, what is the message of hope that you have in the midst of these terrible things that were done to your daughter? Well, you said what is in you, and I'll play off of that, because there's nothing in me. Uh, you cannot do this. I'm, you can't do it on your own. For some reason, uh, you know, I've had lots of Christian people say that you know they would they would do like what you said it you know with with a gun or whatever it would be to you know, and I, I get that. Um, but for some reason, God chose to uh, not have revenge in my heart over this and to forgive the doctor and nurse who did this. I don't know why it's nothing I did because you can't, you cannot do that on your own. So the, you know, so as, as much as, you know, I, I, the best justice of all would be for the doctor and nurse to repent. Amen. Because, I mean, you don't want your worst enemy to, or to, to be in hell. I mean, so, I mean, the parable of the unmerciful servant is, is really applicable. You know, so if you understand that parable, you really understand how deep our sin is. And so even though you'd say, well, their sin is worse than your sin, and the right perspective is that there is not a sin that I would not commit if the situation was right, except for by God's grace. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Totally. So then then you, can, you can frame what the doctor and nurse did in that light, and then you realize, okay, I'm no better than them. And, you know, so God says, you know, re vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's in Romans 12. Um, so it's his job to, to, to handle the vengeance. Uh, he also wants justice. So what does that look like? You know, it, God never judges the action. He judges the heart. So if there's going to be a justice phase of what we go through with grace, it seems like he's opening those doors and then we'll walk through them. But we can't just go after justice for justice's sake just because that's what they deserve. You know, it, it seems like, a, you know, there's so many neat things happening that 
I, I can't believe the doors are opening. And I think justice is going to get served. Time will tell. I mean, we've already said we don't want any money. Um, would, I'd just like to get Grace's death certificate changed to the truth. That's the one personal thing I'd like out of this. But you know, ultimately, why would we pursue justice? Um, not to hang the doctor and nurse. It's to stop this. It is a tool that we can use in our society to stop this faster than most tools. The tool I'm using right now is being on your podcast. So if we get another X number of thousand listeners, it's that many more people who are now educated. So that tool is what we're using today. The legal tool, I think, is going to to um, be opened up to us. And when that happens, you know, I think it could be a useful tool to help stop this. Uh, because once people are held accountable, it tends to stop the behavior. Uh, but ultimately, you know, God's justice is repentance. And that's what I'd like to see, see happen for both the doctor and nurse. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see that too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not talking about vengeance. What I'm talking about is when knowing what I know, over, especially over the past few years of covering this stuff and seeing what goes on there, uh, when I talk about doing what I have to to get my kid out of there, it's not an act of justice. It's, it's the positive side of fulfilling the commandment not to kill. And that is to protect life. And if I have to deal with some criminals in the midst of that, well, I think the Bible covers that too. Uh, specifically, it talks about those who break into your house and such like that, that you're not guilty over that. They're, they're doing something they're not supposed to be, and you don't know if they're a threat. But in this case, you know, you can see those things. So I want to be clear about what we're talking about. And I'm with you. I think if, if there's repentance uh, among the people, then the justice due their sin is put on Christ. No, no question about that. I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. But at the same time, we have this going on not once, not in one place. We got this going on all over the world. And I got to tell you, when there's a lack of justice brought against the people and they're allowed to do it, they just become emboldened to do it. It's Absolutely. like when we sin, we can get away with it once and we go, well, that was felt good and I didn't get caught with that. I'll just do it again and I'll do it again. And pretty soon we're not even bothered by it and we're just doing it as a habit. Well, the same thing happens here. And I think this is why when God did institute the death penalty, he said, the one, the communities to be a part of it, that they're supposed to have a due process to prove they're guilty. The community partakes in it. And he said, it's so that they may learn to fear the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? It's the beginning of knowledge, all of those kinds of things. So, so the one thing we've left off, I think, in our culture is real justice, because if we were carrying out justice, we wouldn't have to do it very many times for people to get the idea. If you behave like this, if you're going to do these things and you're caught doing them, this is what's going to happen to you. And again, the message would go to them. It, it, it would go out to everybody. We repent before God so that we don't engage in that, so that he might give us of his spirit, that the, that the justice to our sin might be placed upon Christ. But some people might say, well, Scott, where was God in all of this? Where was he really? And I like the way you said it. He's the same place he's always. He's in the same place he was when the evil Romans and the wicked Jews got together and put together his put to death his son. He's in the same place. He's not surprised by any of this, is he? We are, but he's not. Well, I, he's not at all. I mean, yep. if you so, what is the so back? You know, so what you're saying about justice. You know, I, I think is, is right. I mean, you're really talking about 
just because they repent doesn't mean there shouldn't be consequence for choice. Of course. I, I, you know, that's why we'll walk through that justice phase as he opens up the doors. But the, the, um, so God is sovereign. So God is love. He's also sovereign. So he would never do something that is not for our good. So in relative to God's being sovereign, God knew exactly the day Grace was going to die and the circumstances she was going to die under before she was ever born. Amen. Okay, yeah, so yes. then if you frame that, so I just want to read Genesis 50, 20. Um, As for you, ye meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Amen. I think that applies exactly to grace. So grace, grace influenced people while she was on this earth. She influenced me. She influenced my wife. She influenced hundreds of people. Everybody she met, she influenced. 400 people came to her funeral. But look at what she's doing in her death. I mean, it's hard to even grasp. I mean, we've probably got this message out to 30 million people already. It's incredible. It's huge. You know, so, I mean, obviously he knows what he's doing and, you know, we have an obligation. I, I, uh, I told you before we got on this podcast, I mean, I have another one yet tonight. I mean, and it is what it is. I mean, if somebody else calls, I mean, I think I could even one more, but I don't know. I'm, I'm running out of gas, but I mean, you got to keep going because this is, this is important. Amen. Amen. Well, Scott here, look, uh, you, if you've got another thing that you got to get to, I understand that. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And uh, we'll have this out on a lot of outlets, not just on Sons of Liberty Media, but at least uh, two or three more. And then it'll go out on a bunch of video platforms once I upload from what we've got here today. But as a final thought, I want to give you the final word here. And then we'll close out the show. And if you'll hang on, I'll say goodbye after I close out the show. But if, you, if you've got a final word that you would speak to the audience, um, about what's going on, what would that message be to them? The message would be time is urgent. And, you know, this story for the unbeliever who hears this story, if it pricks your heart, um, God will use a story like this to have you realize that you've been duped. And this story can have, be a tool that he uses to draw you to him. And don't don't uh, don't turn away from that. Start searching, because if you do, you'll end up with searching for the only person who's ever walked the face of this earth that will not dupe you, and that's God's Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. For the believer, you know, we've been asleep. I mean, I was asleep, and you know, we're I'm not asleep anymore, and. It, all of us have to realize time is urgent. You know, we have a responsibility to share the gospel. And uh, people need the gospel more than, than, well, maybe there's been other times in history. You know, nothing I've ever lived through. I mean, this is, this is urgent. I mean, the entire world is falling apart. And people are going to be wondering, what do I do when they take away the currency? What do I do when... Where do I go for a hospital? I mean, they're going to be looking to people who are solid, which are the Christians, for these answers. And you have an opportunity of a lifetime to, to share the gospel. Yes, amen. 
Amen. Scott, we appreciate you coming on, man. Our heart goes out to you. We'll keep you in our prayers. And for anybody who wants more information or would like to help, it is ouramazinggrace.net. That's where you can uh, read about grace. You can see some of the, I think you're collecting some of the other stories from other people. Uh, of course, sonsoflibertymedia.com covers a lot of these stories too, not just in, in the deaths, but the injuries, um, the liberties that are being stolen from the people uh, under the name of COVID. And, you know, we're to be wise as serpents, as you, as, you, as, as, uh, as you just said, we're to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And part of our wisdom is understanding how the enemy is playing us. And so we've got to be we've got to be extremely cautious in the realm of medicine and medical health now because of just the corruption that's taken place. Um it, we saw it with the money, we saw it with you know the the mixing of the drugs and everything else and things that we've covered many times on the show on Saturday. But in any case, you guys be back in the morning 8 a.m. with Kate Shimarani. That'll be a health and wellness show on uh, Saturday. And, and uh, Lord willing, we're going to be here at 8 a.m. We'll talk to you then. See you.